Hello and welcome to the programme. You can visit the website anytime you like, rte.ie forward slash Mooney. If you're a fan of Nationwide on RTE television, you will know that this year they celebrate 30 years on air. If you were watching last Wednesday, you will have seen them launch RTE Eye on Nature in conjunction with Mooney Goes Wild, the National Botanic Gardens at Glasnevin and the Office of Public Works. It's a fantastic competition, now in its third year, originated here on Mooney Goes Wild with the Today Show and now, delighted to say, we're with... Nationwide, our partners on TV this year. Well, in case you missed it, here's the promo. Look deep into nature, said Albert Einstein, and you will understand everything better. And where better to celebrate our natural world than in the art of nature photography? Calling all budding photographers and nature lovers alike to enter RTE Eye on Nature, Ireland's wildlife photography competition, see rte.ie slash ionnature. Get regular updates on Nationwide on RTE1 and Mooney Goes Wild on RTE Radio 1. Eye on Nature, presented by RTE with the National Botanic Gardens Dublin and the OPW. See rte.ie slash ionnature. That's the address you need if you think you have a photograph worthy of submission. You've got to be 18 years of age or older and you can only submit one Photograph, Not two, not three, just one. Please pay careful attention to all the rules and regulations. Go to the website rte.ie slash ionnature. In studio with me tonight, Aineni Launa and Niall Hatch. At his home in Malahide, Dr Richard Collins and shortly we'll be hearing from Terry Flanagan and Dr Matthew Jebb from the National Botanic Gardens in Glasnevin. Niall, you're one of our judges on the competition this year. All excited, I see. Yes, and, and for very good reason. I absolutely love this competition and I can't wait to see the entries that come in because for the last two years I have been blown away mm. by the quality of photography that we're getting from all around Ireland and showcasing our wildlife, which is something that I'm really passionate about, of course. I think that sometimes people can think that Irish nature and wildlife play second fiddle to that elsewhere in the world, but it is world class. We have some incredible scenes here. It's really beautiful. I couldn't agree more. And if you want to see some of the previous entries to the competition, just visit the Mooney Goes Wild website, RTE e.ie forward slash Mooney. Now let's get up the old newspapers here and go back to last Saturday's Irish Times. Sorry, the week before last. Aenany Launa has her own column in the paper. It's also called Eye on Nature. And I see you featured quite prominently in the paper of record last week, Aina. What's going on? Yes, indeed. And my picture was there as well. The first top half of the Speaking page. Speaking of photographs. Yeah. Speaking of photographs, black and white picture of me. So it was nice and subtle. But yeah, Michael Viney has retired. He was 90 years of age in February and he has decided to hang up well, his Well, best pen. of luck to Michael Viney. 45 years he was writing on the paper. So anyway, I was doing the Ivan Nature column because Ethna had retired two and a half years ago and I was doing the column for that. And lo and behold, because Michael's was gone and the top half of the page was paper waiting for ink, I was promoted to the top half of the page and I had the most beautiful greenfinch, a really nice one as the top picture. What was the question about greenfinches again? Remind Uh, me. Oh, the question about greenfinches was, does greenfinches in my garden and, you know, do greenfinches have diseases? And I was able to talk about the trichomonas disease that they get in their throats which causes them to swell up and so it's from dirty feeders and not washing them and it's a bacterial disease. So I was able to pontificate on that and other 
pictures then come in. What is this and what will it do to you? Or what is this? And tell me all about it. So I have loads of space now for a couple of weeks at any rate. So hopefully it will continue and I shall get to sell my wares on half a page in the Irish Times for a long time to come. And good luck to Michael Viney after giving people many, many years of enjoyment. Yes, indeed. Fair play to the man to be killed, still working until he's 90 years of age. That puts it up to you. When do you retire? You, never, never. You don't. Look at Richard Collins. He's still with us. And Richard, you're a fan of Michael Viney too. Michael Viney made an enormous contribution to nature in Ireland and to the advancement of conservation in Ireland. Now, Aina, no better person to follow him. But over the next, I suppose in your case, it'll be four decades from now when you reach 90, I am sure that you will take up the flag and lead on to new pastures. Well, now, keep a grip there now, indeed. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so don't let don't let don't let you run away with yourself anyway. So we, you're only as good as your last gig as you know, Richard, writing yourself as you do for the examiner. Every week is a column you have to conjure up. At least I have questions from the readers to to, to spur me on. It's all about questions, Aina, as we know only too well here on the programme. Once again, congratulations to Michael Viney on a long career with the Irish Times. Now let's move on. My old mate Jim Wilson is in Cove in County Cork, in Cork Harbour. And Jim, you have been recording frogs this week. That's right, Derek. Every year we get frogs coming to our small garden pond to breed. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we can have as many as 12 or 14 in a a pond that's about 2 metres by a metre in size. And they put on quite a show uh, after dark. They all come out. We can see they're splashing about in the reflections of the streetlights. And with it, you get this chorus of croaking. And every year I say... I'm going to record that and nearly every year by the time I remember to do it they've stopped but luckily yeah this week I managed to record them Uh, we've had them spawning as early or as late as December and right up to the end of February and this year just the beginning of February is when they really started to get into action uh, getting down to business as frogs do So what I did was, I put out my recorder. I actually left it record all night. Now I was curious to see when they were most active and when they were most vocal. And it turned out they actually were croaking pretty much for all the dark period of the night. They kind of went quiet as dawn came and they were quiet at dusk as well. And if you're wondering what the background noise is in the recording, right here in suburbs of Cove, it is in fact the constant hum of the factories and ships out and around Cork Harbour. Aha, in fact I'm in Cove quite a bit. I was there the other day with Jim, we were recording a segment about Little Egrets for Nationwide which will be broadcast in a few weeks' time and you can hear that distant hum of all the industry in Cork Harbour when you're there. Jim, thank you very much indeed and how appropriate because Jane, one of our listeners, has been in touch with a question about frog spawn. Hi Mooney team, my name is Jane Smith. I just submitted a photo of uh, frog spawning which I took on Friday the 10th of February in North Tipperary. It was about half three, four o'clock in the afternoon. I was walking along a drain which I had been keeping an eye on for frog spawning as I had copped them there last year. If I'm correct, it was around this time last year. But I was so delighted and excited when I seen um, the actual frog in the middle of spawning that I actually 
I <laughs> I jumped back for my camera as quick as I could to get the picture. I was wondering, is it too early? Are we on time? And how lucky was I to actually find her spawning at that exact moment? Thanks very much indeed, Jane. As I said earlier, Richard Collins is at home in Malahide. Niall Hatch and Aina Nilana are in studio with me and... We will talk to Rob Gandola from the Herpetological Society in just a few moments. Aina. Yes, indeed. I'm looking at the picture that Jane sent in and actually it is the picture of one frog swimming around in the middle of frog spawn. I fear it is not a picture of a frog spawning because I feel a lecture in the birds and the bees coming over me. In order for a frog to be spawning, you have a male frog and a female frog and they're together and they're both producing. She's producing eggs, he's producing sperm and they come together in the water. So then that fertilisation happens in the water and then these uh, frog spawn that we see around like tapioca appears. So this frog is in the middle of after the event. The event is over. You need two frogs, one on top of the other to catch them in the act. And it's, I wouldn't think it's all that early for February in Tipperary because I remember doing a, doing a project with schools way back in the day with, with Gerald Fleming and we used to map when the frogs would spawn and in Kerry, even though we always started on the 1st of February for springtime, they always had frog spawn in Kerry before we ever even started. So the frog spawn happens from the south coming up as the way spring moves across the country and the very last counties in which the frogs were spawning were the coldest ones which are Cavan and Monaghan. So it's a lovely picture, it's great to see it happening and well done to Jane for taking it. Could have been one for eye on nature, Nile, could it not? Quite, yes. And I'd love to see a frog doing well in that competition. <laughs> I don't think our native amphibians get enough respect or love oh, in this We had country. a very good frog photograph in the final 12 last year. That's right. That's right. It's good to see it. So I, I'm a big fan of frogs and, and toads and newts. So yeah, I'd love for more of those, please. Let's say hello now to Rob. Hello, Rob. How are you? How are you? So what do you think? Is well. it a bit early? Absolutely not. So the great thing um, about common frogs, as we know, is that, um, you know, we're continually uh, learning new things about them. So what happens is, as Aina pointed out, is that the the frog spawning season starts kind of in the southwest of Ireland, in Kerry and Cork. And that's because, if I'm going to be technical, there's, there's a, a, a bioclimatic envelope, as they call it, that sits around the, the balmy southwest of Ireland. Um, so they're heavily influenced by the Atlantic, so they tend to be slightly warmer and wetter than the rest of the country. So it's not unusual to see places like Glengariff report spawn from Christmas week or just before um, the end of the year, um, around the, kind of anywhere between the 26th and, and uh, New Year's Eve. It does start there and it, it tends to progress island-wide. Now, the thing about that is frogs, when they initiate their, their spawning migration, as it's called, is affected by local microclimates as well. So, like, even from where I'm here now in the Wicklow Mountains, my garden, the frogs started spawning um, the first week of February, whereas the National Park only really got going kind of um, yesterday and today. Um, and that would be because the bottom of my garden is, is quite a wet woodland. It's quite warm. Um, it's very sheltered, whereas the National Park, where they tend to, to breed in Glenlock National Park, would be way more exposed. So, you know, it would be slightly cooler there. Um, so there is a seven to ten day lag even here in Wicklow. And this is the, the important thing about the microclimates, you know. Um, so what you might see is you'll get spawn in Kerry and Cork and then somewhere in Galway might come up next. And then it could be Tip and then it could be somewhere in Dublin where it's slightly warmer because somebody has a pond near a busy road. So that the temperatures there are slightly higher than everywhere else. The opposite of that is then you'll have people 
up up higher up in the mountain ranges may not see spawn until St. Patrick's Day or even later because you know at altitude it tends to be colder for longer um, during the year you're more likely to get a cold snap um, you know and you've got the opposite effect you know in a garden that may be north facing the water in your pond or, or whatever even if it's like a, a plastic tub pond might be colder because it's in the shade longer and the, and the frogs won't come and spawn in it until the last week of March. Rob, do you think there's any worry that she was saying, could it be too early? I mean, where are we to get a very cold snap? Isn't there forecasts of fierce cold weather coming altogether? That the, fro- the ponds would, would freeze over and that this would have a detrimental effect on frog spawn. Certainly in 2010, when we went down to minus 16, pictures of frog spawn frozen came my way. So could it be too early, as it were? Could, it, could they have jumped the gun, maybe, not knowing what the weather is going to be like in another month? It's never too early if you get me. And, and the reason why I'm saying this is because um, frogs spawn, if you look at it, like like you described it there with the tapioca kind of effect. So that jelly that, that protects the embryo, so the developing embryo is the little black dot that's in the middle of it. That's protected by the jelly. So the jelly is behaving a bit like um, insulation that you'd have in your attic or, or around your house. And it's, it's full of glucosaccharides and, and things like this, which are just complex sugar. So they behave like an antifreeze. So unless it gets really, really cold, like we had in 2010, like we had with the beast from the east and, and even just generally a late cold snap at the end of February into March, what happens is the top layer of spawn that's exposed or at the very top of the water where, where it's likely to freeze, the, the embryos there will perish. But the insulation properties of the spawn clump as a whole, and that's the way you need to look at it. It's the, the clump as, as, a, as a whole rather than the individual little developing embryos um, will be insulated by up to 10 degrees um, by this um, natural antifreeze. So they, it buffers them quite well and that protects the, the, will protect the developing embryo. So while the embryo growth will slow down, it's unlikely that unless like the, the pond they're in is extremely shallow and it freezes completely solid, the vast majority of the eggs will actually be safe and they'll continue to to grow once conditions um, become favourable again once things start to warm up. They are brilliant little animals. They they they're they're very well adapted for you know a very kind of erratic temperate climate which we have in Ireland where we're under the influence you know not only of of the Atlantic Ocean but things that come in off off the east coast and come over across from like the Russian steppe and stuff like that. So they are very very well adapted to the climate we have here and and even like in. Other parts of continental Europe where you find them, like you'll find frogs in spawning in ponds in the Alps that are surrounded by snow and ice. But because the water still has some open water that isn't totally frozen, they'll be in there spawning as well. To say whether it was too early, probably not. Most of the spawn will survive a late snap. I know they're talking about Beast from the East Mark II, you know, the revenge or whatever they're going to put title on it. But um, yeah, it's it's. I wouldn't be overly concerned about it. There's a reason why they spawn en masse and each female um, frog will lay approximately 2,000 eggs. You know, it's it's all a numbers game and uh, they, they tend to be the overall winners of this numbers game. That's why there's so many of them. Rob, you mentioned there the vast number of eggs that each female will produce. And we can see that from Jane's picture very well. This frog is surrounded by a multitude of eggs. But what is the survival rate? How many of those eggs on average are likely to develop ultimately into frogs that themselves will breed and add to the population? What's the survival rate of these eggs? The survival rate for adults, so so for say one tadpole to leave the pond, develop and come back as a as a as a breeding adult, is about one to two percent. So you know when you take into account that each each female that's that's engaged in spawning will lay about two thousand eggs, you know the the mortality rate is absolutely huge. Um, 
But you know, you kind of got to look at it, and it's it's a numbers game, because frogs tend to breed on mass. There tends to be like hundreds of thousands of of eggs go into the water. Tens of thousands of tadpoles will survive and hatch out and be free swimming. You know, there's so even out of like say a population of eight hundred females that that were in like a large local population, you know, eight to ten individuals making it back, um, you know, is usually enough to ensure that the 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 population continues. And that's eight to ten individuals every three years. So, like, adult female frog may survive in the wild for up to eight years. So, you know, as long as they, they don't get hammered by some sort of external force, like a disease um, or a virus or losing the wetland or, or something catastrophic, you know, generally that's all that's required to, to ensure that, that your, your local population of frogs stays um, a healthy population of frogs. Is there a benefit to the frogs in synchronising their laying? Because I'm guessing that if you're the first frog to lay your eggs or the only frog at that time has viable eggs around, there's a much higher chance that your eggs are going to be eaten by predators. But if there's a whole load of different frogs breeding at the same time, it's more likely that at least some of your eggs will survive and you won't bear the brunt of the entire brunt of that predator's attention. Is that something that happens? Yeah, it is absolutely. So everything that the frogs do tends to be synchronized. So it it you get a couple of of early arrivals and then you get a couple of late hangers on, but um generally as a rule frogs do everything um synchronized together. So they'll um arrive out of hibernation on mass and that's what we'll be seeing at this time of year, you know. You see frogs crossing the road by by the tens or the hundreds um towards the the their spawning grounds. And then even when the, the tadpoles develop and they hatch out, they tend to shoal around together in little schools. And again, it's a safety by numbers thing, you know. So the, the more you kind of kind of stick together, right, the predators will still take a few and a few will just die naturally for whatever reason. But the vast majority of them will survive. And even then when it comes to metamorphosis itself, metamorphosis is such, so that's the, the you know, the, the development of, of a frog from a tadpole um, into into a small animal that looks like a, a, a mini frog, you know, so they rearrange all their organs, they, they grow their limbs and everything. So that's that's massively energy expensive. Um, and not all the tadpoles will, will make it through that, but the ones that do, um, they all tend to do it more or less in waves essentially is what happens so you're never at a stage where it's only one or two froglets will be hanging around the edge of the pond and ready to go into the long grass because you'll have things like not in this country but like in in the uk and continental europe there'll be grass frogs um you know other frogs like frogs are cannibals um ready to pounce and like even large beetles you know would would see a small froglet as as a meal and never mind all the birds um you know so they they tend to do everything like they'll they'll time it so they do it in waves together. Um, you see it now during the spawning season. You'll see it when the tadpoles are metamorphosing into froglets. You'll see it again in the autumn time when they're moving towards the hibernation grounds as well. So they all do it together again because like it's pure biology. You know there is safety in numbers. Um, and it's quite fascinating because they'll obviously have environmental cues that tell them it's time to go and do whatever it is, whether it's spawning or autumnal migration or time to leave the pond. You know, they're, they're being triggered by something, whether it's um, hormonal, it's day length, it's temperature and humidity. You know, um, they're fantastic little creatures because they, they're obviously able to to take cues from their environment and, and that kind of tells them um, what they need to be doing at that particular time. Robert, frogs seem to have a curious relationship with time. On the one hand, they'll be three years plus before they reach sexual maturity. That's a very long time. Yes, 
They rush into breeding very early in the season with spawning in December and January and so forth. What are the forces which force them to have such an extreme early breeding? And, and that's something that's likely to change, Richard, but I'll go back to that in a second. So what forces this extreme behaviour is our frogs up until, well, as far as we know, they still do, they hibernate. So they stop feeding around the end of October, early November, and then they go into torpor, even if it's if it's generally proper hibernation or, or rather than a, a torpor. Um, but they don't feed during that period. And then when they get the environmental cues, so five degrees Celsius is, seems to be a very important um, air temperature for frogs. Um, and then again, when it's raining and even the moon, so the lunar cycle, it can be important in triggering um, a spawning migration event. So they've been asleep for a couple of months. They haven't had any food take, so they're into their energy reserves, so their fat reserves internally. And then all they want to do when they wake up is they have this hormonal urge that they have to go and breed. And that can take the best part of a couple of weeks. It's also very energy expensive. So they need to get out um, of hibernation. They need to get to their spawning grounds and they need to pass on their genetic material. So whether it's a male through the sperm or it's a female through laying their eggs. And then all of a sudden they realise that they haven't eaten in the best part of two to three months, maybe even longer. So the benefits are when the spawning season is done, it's still relatively early in the year, but temperatures have started to increase and all their prey items, so slugs, snails, you know, mammals even in some cases, are all more active. So when they finish spawning, it's eating time. And that's what they do for the rest of the year. Like the vast majority of, of a frog's life is spent in terrestrial habitats. So that's long grass, in hedgerows, you know, along your woodland edges, in your sand dune systems, where, wherever the, the, they're what's adjacent to their to their spawning ponds are and they just spend most of the year just feeding you know the, the spawning season is actually very very short and it's a very small um you know time frame within the within the annual life of of a frog so you can see why spawning early in the year gives them far more opportunity to replenish the reserves they've lost and then also ensure that they have sufficient energy to survive the next hibernation period rob thank you very much indeed you're very welcome you can see that picture that Jane sent to us on our website, rte.ie forward slash Mooney. We do encourage you to send us pictures and video images, but please do not disturb any habitat or interfere with wildlife.